Welcome to 2020 Politics War Room with James Carville in New Orleans. I'm Al Hunt here in Washington at American University. We are proud partners with the Sign Institute. And by the way, the AU Eagles are in the Patriot League playoffs. Bedner Arena Thursday night. Everybody within walking or driving distance ought to be going there. We have a, a, a good guest later, Roger Altman. But first, let me ask you to subscribe, rate, and review 2020 Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. James, I guess we have a little bit of politics to talk about. Between us, we have covered or run American political campaigns for uh, combined probably more than 80 years. I I doubt we have ever seen a political dynamic like this. A week ago, there was a raging debate, could Bernie Sanders be stopped? Some of the smartest Democrats were talking about pressuring Joe Biden to get out to clear the way for Mike Bloomberg, and Elizabeth Warren was waiting in the wings. After Super Tuesday now, Jim Clyburn launched Joe Biden in South Carolina. Biden is now the front runner. He won 10 contests yesterday. Bernie's campaign seems to have peaked in Nevada. Mike Bloomberg has gotten out after spending over $500 million dollars And uh, there's no rationale for Elizabeth Warren, who finished third in her home state of Massachusetts. I I have one comment. Wow. (laughs) Well, I, I, as you know, I've I've been, if I've been right about anything in this is I've I've not predicted anything Mm -hmm. because I thought that this was so volatile and so crazy that these, these kind of twists and turns are inevitable. Uh, The, the club and, endorsement I, it just changed it changed everything i mean it's mike tyson that said these say he hit you so hard it changes the way you taste well the Clyburn thing hit the democratic party so hard we don't taste things the same anymore and once democratic voters in, in the large extent african-american voters so all the candidates in south carolina all of them buy for the votes and Biden wins them overwhelmingly. That's a clear signal to them that that that's our guy. And you also you started to see it in the New Hampshire returns, where it was the suburbs that were increasing the turnout. That carried through in South Carolina, where most of the turnout was in the, the more educated white suburbs. And you look at the Virginia returns, and look at Loudoun and, and Fairfax, I guess Prince William, Alexandria City. Yeah, uh, you're seeing the same thing. So Biden has, Bernie has no appeal to our most historic and important demographic African Americans, and he has little appeal, if any, to our newest and in many ways most exciting demographic, which is these college uh, college educated uh, people, particularly uh, white women. So I, I thought that was a, a impressive dual, impressive uh, display of strength, but with key demographics last night. Uh, and I, I said last night on television, I believe this, of course, of Bernie, the revolution will go on and, and they'll be doing this and that, but they're going to face a different environment out there. Uh, you know, in 2016, the attitude, well, Hillary's probably win anyway, and Roddy, Roddy out fooling with him. And then in 2008, 20 was, well, you know, he's got a guy with a point and he's leading in the polls and he's a front runner. Now people are going to get aggravated at him and say, look, what you're just getting in the way. You know, I don't revolution that your average Democrat around the country is looking for the revolution to get Trump out of there. And so I think I, th- I think the dynamic has changed. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and uh, look, uh, the as Joe Biden would say, uh, there is no doubt that some of that uh, great uh, appeal, that great vote he registered when he te- when he in Massachusetts and Minnesota, when he hadn't set foot in them. It, no doubt some of it was, as you said earlier, what Jim Clyburn launched. And a lot of it was just anti-Trump. Uh, he does. Uh, the scope is impressive. He does incredibly well among African-Americans. He does very well among suburban women, and he has more appeal than many Democrats, including Hillary Clinton, among working class whites. But we have to keep in mind, um, this is Joe Biden. And as much as one may like him, the idea that suddenly he is a brilliant candidate with a brilliant campaign uh, may be a bit of a reach. And if Terry McAuliffe and Jim Clyburn were saying last Saturday and Sunday he's got to you know, he's got to reshape this campaign. He's got to reshape uh, the kind of uh, uh, speeches he gives, the kind of appearances he makes. That's still true despite that enormous victory on Tuesday. Well, 
it, it, it is, and they're going to have to, look, they didn't have an office in Minnesota, all right? They had one office in California, Los Angeles, and shut it down to go to South Carolina. So it, it, what, what happened was is that the Democratic Party just collectively, uh, in the period between South Carolina and Super Tuesday, which was, what, 72 hours? Right. It, it collectively just made a decision. That's it. It's Joe Biden. And if you look at the, the actual election day vote, if it wouldn't have been for early voting, either one by more. Yeah. But, but everybody. I, he across, might even carry California. I'm not sure of that, but, but right. he's, but, he's but within it, eight or it, nine. You know, in, in general elections, the polls don't sway that much one way or the other. I mean, you get a two, three point swing, you know, where, where both of the candidates are really known. That, that, that's pretty impressive. Primaries are a lot different. And when primaries start to break, you know, in a general election, you have an ideological floor that you're just not going to go below. In primaries, it's different. And it just, once it started to break, it started to break across the board. And I, I just think going forward, Democratic voters are going to say to themselves, look, we, we, did, we did the deal on, on Super Tuesday. You know, how much more do you want us to do? And I mean, I think they'll do it again on the 17th or whatever the next big round of voting we have. I think Florida and Michigan states like that. Well, well, well then, no, next next Tuesday is Michigan. And okay. that uh, okay. Bernie carried that last time. And the Sanders people have been saying that's one of their three or four. He carried against Hillary Clinton. That's one of their three or four strongest right. states. I, I mean, that is a big that, you know, that's a big matchup next Tuesday. And if Joe Biden can knock him off in Michigan, uh, I, it doesn't end the Bernie campaign, as you said, it's going to go on. But I think any faint hopes they have of being the nominee end after that, well, because this, they this have is a the problem. state he expected to win. It, it, this is the Wolverines it, against the Spartans, James. Right. They have a, uh, they, they have a problem. If, if, if this continues, it, uh, I'd like to see the odds that Biden wins a popular vote and has a plurality of delegates, because if that becomes the case, but of course they'll just switch in, but that they, they, they will be charged with massive hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> something new and different yeah yeah but it won't stop them okay but yeah but they it, it, it's it, the point is going to be made but wait a minute you were screaming and yelling that the right. person that had the most which is i i, I don't buy the argument yeah I, I, I you got to get a you got to get a majority that's the party rules i mean that you came in that's what you play by but they they like they don't care about rules they just make make them up as they go along well, with that critical caveat of what you said uh, a minute ago, that the, the uh, unexpected happens, that they're twisting turns, that none of us anticipate. Well, as of today, I think that may become a moot point because this is a two, a, 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 you know, a, a mano a mano race, if you will, now. Yeah. And I think it's perfectly possible, I, again, a very important caveat, that Joe Biden goes into Milwaukee with a majority, not a plurality uh, of delegates. There's only going to be, you know, Two, three, five percent uh, that aren't committed to one of those top two front runners. Yeah, I look, and you're right. Let's remind ourselves. I mean, I'm very happy for, but we're still, you know, the, the one thing I, I, one prediction I will make, and I'm gonna be very firm on this. He's going to say some goofy stuff between now and election day. You mean like last night, confusing his sister and wife? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, yes, you know, it, because it's still, it's still Joe Biden. Okay, let's hear yeah. before everybody hey. jump in. I think he, I yeah. think he's a thousand times better than what we got. I think he's a he's a, he's a decent guy. He's, I think he's an honorable man, uh, but <laughs> right, right, exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, he's got to have a campaign that, uh, you, you know, has uh, has people right. in states and knows where to send surrogates and all that. And maybe they can they, do they it can themselves. They, they I, I think Bloomberg's have given the keys to his car. Oh, listen, let me tell you this. I mean, I'll say a couple of things because I, I worked for Bloomberg News for a while. I, I don't know Michael well, but I know him. Uh, uh, he is uh, he obviously thought he would be the best candidate, the best president. I think they're going to get a bum rap that the theory of their case was all flawed. Well, it wasn't all flawed. It just was that they didn't think that Joe Biden could make a comeback like this. If Joe Biden, Biden hadn't, uh, there would still be a theory of that case. But he and Biden are actually friends. And he will do whatever it takes to help help Joe Biden. Of that, there is there is no question. You know, I don't know what the campaign finance law laws limits are, but it'll it'll be a huge help. Uh, and I don't know I don't know what Warren's going to do, James. Well, let's let's dissect this for a second. First of all, she does probably 
You know, you, these things never go one for one. Right. But she's going to have a hard time carrying on just for the simple reason that the only question she's going to get is, why are you doing this? Right. All right. And that's no fun. And when you, when you spend the first three minutes of, of any event explaining and, and the rationale is, is kind of, and she, she's in a really sticky wicket because she ran third in Massachusetts. I actually think, in, weirdly enough, the Massachusetts result last night was pretty good for her. Because, really? Yeah, well, I'll tell you why. What, what she has to be concerned about is that the Bernie Sanders people primary her in 2024. And if you look at the combined Biden-Warren vote, Massachusetts primary may not be as Bernie bro as if we have assumed going into it. So I, I, it, it, that to that extent, it, it makes I think she can breathe a little bit easier on the primary threat. Uh, you know, well that's that's four uh, years away, and I think you make a good point, but that doesn't address what she's going to do in the next four days, the next yeah, four I, weeks. I, I, well, my, my, I think she's going to drop out for the uh -huh. simple reason is that she has a very loyal fundraising base, but mm -hmm. she's not a, she's not going to get a chance to say anything. And it, 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 the only question she's going to get is, why are you doing this? What's your path? What are you trying to accomplish here? And, you know, you got to get up every morning. You got to raise money. You got to do events. And that, that's hard when there's no path. She may, she's a very determined person. She may decide that, you know, the, 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 the kind of dream is you have some kind of a somebody is, you know, 50 delegates short of the nomination and you make this sterling deal with Joe Biden to give him your delegates and you become treasury secretary or something. I have no idea, but Vice maybe President, that's in the back yeah. of a line somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, it'll be, um, um, you know, she'll get squeezed from both sides. Uh, the establishment uh, of the party, uh, such as it is, will want her out because they clear the way for Joe Biden. And the Bernie, the Bernie people are going to want her out. Uh, they're going to bring a lot of pressure on her. Uh, they want Bernie to have a, um, a clearer field. So I, I, you know, I think she is going to get out. Let me, you know, James, uh, pick up because we know now what Trump is going to do. We now know what Trump and his lackeys on Capitol Hill, like Lindsey Graham and the, uh, the uh, never always astute uh, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin are going to do. They're going to start to try to smear Joe Biden every chance they get. And they only have really, really one vehicle, and that's his son, Bo, uh, who has had a troubled life, never should have taken a job with a Ukraine energy company. Uh, and they will smear him, you know, every chance they get. And they have they have material on Bo. None of that, other than the fact that two things, number one, father, Apparent loyalty and number two, bad judgment on his staff's part and his part of letting Bo do that. There is nothing about Joe Biden in Ukraine that is anything but admirable and good and clean. He got rid of the bad people that the Rudy Giuliani's were trying to keep. That's just the fact. That yeah, and, and that, that that's not going to deter him at all. By, by no. the way, just in the uh, I just got a uh, he just texted me. And I looked his posted. Ron Brownstein has a new piece in the Atlantic posted about the effects of yesterday so anybody that's listening to the show after the show is over i think albert and i safe to say we read every word that ron brownstein writes so i'm um, gonna look forward to reading his analysis uh, yeah i do too ron brownstein tom etzelman i mean you know we got an all-star team of uh people we follow james um but but yeah but you agree that it won't stop trump and they will go and they'll try to smear now what's tougher for them with Bernie, who had never actually really been fully vetted, even when he ran last time as a as a presidential candidate, there was all kinds of new material they could bring up and they could, you know, some of it was real, some of it they would demagogue. Ninety nine percent of of what's out there about Joe is known. Uh, I mean, they're not going to be able to bring up new stuff, so they're going to have to lie which I know, James, this will shock you, but that's what Donald Trump does. Okay, but that's, that's going to be really hard for him to do. Gee, I'd like <laughs> to see the first person that stands up and says, sir, that's a lie. But, you know, this is, this is bad. second time we've done that. <laughs> this is bad news for Trump and the Republicans because you're right. I mean, Joe's going to say some silly, dumb things, and, and maybe there'll be another twist and turn we can't anticipate. You know, who knows? But all things being equal, 
uh, Joe Biden is going to beat him in a general election. And the Trump people know that, and that'll make them more desperate. And you know what happens when they get desperate. Right. In, in the combination of the virus, which he, in his primitive way, sees as a, as a threat to him. That, 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 that thing, is, it's personal to him. He, he doesn't understand what, even what it is. And from the start, he's always been in a panic about Biden. So that, that's the result of the Ukraine thing. That's everything. This, and he, he's, to say he's unstable, it doesn't even give it a true glimpse into what he really is. And this will drive him even further off the ledge. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Paul Begallif wrote something interesting. He said that on the day that, you know, Biden is nominated at a convention, he's going to say he's going to pick Nikki Haley and not Mike Pence to try to muck up the story. I, I, I thought it was a kind of a clever uh, way, but that, he, he's going to do stuff like that. You're going to see him. Oh, he, yeah, he'll do, do whatever it stuff. takes. He has he has he has really, really deep loyalty to one person, Donald yeah. Trump. That's it. You know, it stops, it, you know, stops at the water's edge, uh, as they say, and he'll do anything and, uh, and he'll get desperate and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be very, very ugly because that's way you know, we, we have given uh, a big shout out and with great justification to Ron Brownstein and Tom Etzel. There's another one. Uh, and James, you put me on this story, George Packard's piece in the Atlantic, uh, oh, in the current man. issue. Oh. If you, if you yeah. think you were scared of four more years of Donald Trump, if you think that was an existential threat, read the George Packard piece and you will be twice as scared. You will be twice as upset. You will be twice as likely to book a flight to New Zealand uh, or what it is just, it's a chilling, chilling piece and it is brilliantly it, done. It, and like everything that George does, I mean, it's elegantly written. It, it's really put together well. And it, it is, it, it just, you know, it, it just shows you basically, I don't, I don't think we're a constitutional Republic right now. I really don't. And I mean, one of the reasons that, you know, Biden's got to win this thing, we've we got to get some semblance of the rule of law back in this country. I mean, these guys are pretty, when, when, when the attorney general sets up a hotline for the president's lawyer to investigate the president's political enemies, I think that, that that's not, we'll have to check with Walter Dillinger, but I think we've gone outside the, the norms of law. <laughs> You know, uh, what I was first starting to write about politics a little bit was in 1968. I really was in the Boston Bureau of the Wall Street Journal, so they didn't give me much of a chance because we know how arrogant those Washington bureaus are. But Richard Nixon ran for president. One of, one of the things he, he just said on every speech was, and I promise if elected, I will replace the attorney general. Now, of course he was going to replace the attorney general, but it was, a, it was not only an applause line, there was a feeling that the Johnson administration's uh, was too permissive and all that. I mean, it is Joe Biden. Uh, every speech, I am going to replace the attorney general because it's more and more apparent what that we have an attorney general that's much more like the Nixon attorney general. He is he is Donald Trump's Roy Cohn. Yeah, yes. And, and I, I love the way uh, the way the Washington establishment, you know, assured us about him. Right. Wow. <laughs> Well, that was kind of the way they 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 showed you about Ken Starr some time ago, didn't they? Yeah, right. I remember that. I remember Sally Quinn wrote a piece about how Ken Starr was part of the establishment. Good, y'all want him taken. <laughs> <laughs> Baylor won't take him. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and he's had a distinguished list of clients too. Yeah. How, yeah. how was it he never represented Harvey Weinstein? I thought that would have been right in his wheelhouse. He, he might have gotten beaten out for that contract, or he may, maybe Jeffrey Epstein was offering him more money. I don't know. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in case anyone missed it, he did write a letter to the New York Times in April uh, saying that uh, these charges against Jeffrey Epstein were exaggerated. Uh, it's, a, it's a good thing to look at. Just like the charges against uh, Big Tobacco, you know, against R.J. Reynolds. People just exaggerate right. that. There's nothing right. wrong with these guys. James, getting back uh, to last night, and I think the Biden victory was, you know, everything we have described, and, uh, you know, Bloomberg and, and, and Warren. You know, I have to say, I think Michael spent like $550 million. I used to love, again, having covered the campaign in 1980, 
John Connolly, the former governor of Texas and a Democrat turned Republican, ran. He spent eleven million dollars, which back then was a whole lot of money, and he got one delegate, Ada Mills of. Uh, of our, I guarantee that however many delegates Michael got, they have probably topped the uh, price per delegate. Uh, from, oh, I uh, think John I think I, I think all records have been shattered. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But you know what? You got him, Bloomberg. You know he. he it's true to his word. He said, he said, I got in this thing because I wanted to beat Trump and I'm getting out on the same terms. And I think he will make a huge contribution to the Democratic effort, the Democratic Party. And he will do things that Democrats, that this National Committee and others and the Biden campaign can't do, both because of resources and skill. Uh, there will be digital stuff that the Democrats desperately need. And, you know, I think he's going to make a huge and an important contribution. Well, if you read the the, the New Yorker piece on, on the Republicans' digital operation and the Brad Purcell, it'll scare the living you-know-what out of you. It will, and I think that the Bloomberg operation is the only thing that can counter yeah, that. You know, I, if I do anything about technology, I'd go on TV and do a rant that we behind, but I don't know enough to... <laughs> James, you and I, it's a very, very close contest. Our, uh, uh, our, our guy who puts the show on here, Kyle, laughs every time we mention technology. You know, one thing we also ought to mention about yesterday, there were some primaries uh, and some, some congressional primaries, and two in particular I want to mention, both one really good news for the Democrats and one might be. The first would be North Carolina, where the Republicans came in uh, and in a stealth campaign spent $3 million to try to help a Left-wing woman beat the preferred Democratic candidate, uh, Cal Cunningham. It failed. Cunningham won big. He, I think, is at least even money going into the fall running against incumbent Republican Tom Tillis. That's a really important outcome very, for Democrats. Very. And, and I, I, you know, they can't. It's so obvious all of the things that they're trying to do, like putting this putting this this woman up to run for this. And. You know, they, what you're going to have is they're going to use a lot of these lefties for the same purpose. And that's coming. And, and the Republicans, I mean, the Russians are going to do the same thing. I guarantee you. It's, gonna, it's coming. There's no doubt about it. What's the other, what's the other, what's the other congressional Alabama. Al the Alabama Senate race where Jeff Sessions was going back to try to reclaim his seat. Now, I would have pre preferred Judge Roy Moore to have won. He didn't. But he's in a he's in a primary. Uh, Jeff Sessions finished second to the former Auburn football coach, Tommy Tuberville, who is now running to the right of Donald Trump. My guess is he's saying things he never said to those great African-American uh, football. Yeah, I don't think he when, he was recruiting, when he was recruiting Bo Jackson, he was he was very yeah, Trump. Yeah, but, yeah, okay. yeah. Maybe I don't, before you know, Tommy Tuberville, I don't remember. Yeah, he wasn't bringing up the birther issue or no, any of that no, stuff. No, but no, but no. but it's going to be a it could be a bitter primary. And of all the Democrats, the one who is the most vulnerable and probably an underdog, it's Doug Jones. And I think this at least, it doesn't mean that he's not an underdog, still is. It's Alabama, but it's good for him. They don't, uh, Wade Perry, now the party chair, was his, one of his top guys. His top guy was a guy named Giles Perkins, or, you know, talked to him on the phone almost daily during the 2017 run. And, uh, Wade says he, he, he honestly believes that Doug has a shot. And I saw Doug in New York last week, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't think he's making it up. I, I think Doug is in the hunt down there. Now, I, I'd, I'd have to see it. You know, I could be persuaded by a good poll that shows me something to the contrary. But for some reason, they, they don't feel that terrible about it. Well, he can't be, you know, he can only be helped by what promises to be a bitter Republican primary in four weeks with both trying to get to the right of each other and to the right of Donald Trump. Right. And, you know, it's a, uh, who knows? The, the one thing is, you know, you can, if you get that huge, huge, huge relative, that African-American turnout that Doug got in 17, but it's going to be hard to do in 2020 because the contribution was outsized because it was an off year election and, it, it's still tough, but they, they, they think not hopeless, and so I'm, I'm digging in with them. You're right. I'd love to talk to some of Tommy Tuberville's recruits and see what he told them back then versus what he's saying now, but uh, 
You know, I, uh, you know, let me let me just put it this way. If it were Nick Saban, I would be really worried if I were Doug Jones, uh, Tommy Tuberville, whatever he is. Yeah, I don't know if Nick I would said some of the Alabama people hate, hate Auburn so much. They just found out you got to go Auburn, you got to vote for Auburn, you got to vote for a Democrat. You go, oh, geez, last time I had a child molester. I don't know if they saw if at least I have to make a choice between a child molester and an Auburn person. Yeah, I went in the Republican convention in 04 in New York, and I stayed the same uh, hotel is the Alabama delegation and I get in the elevator uh, and then they all get in the elevator and they give me a hard time about Bob Novak. We love Bob Novak and you know he's right and you're wrong and you know they would really get vehement about it and I finally found the best answer was was to say you know who's tied uh, you know and who's Auburn and man the, the elevator divided and they'd start fighting with each other so I yeah, think you're right. Yeah. So I to to go if you're like an Alabama, if you've had to choose between a child molester, a Democrat, and an Auburn person, rank those in terms of negativity. That's a great poll question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if, you, if you graduate from the University of Alabama and you're a Republican, you know, you, you, had, you had one bullet. Who would you shoot first? <laughs> you have a nervous breakdown. Um, yeah. uh, this has been, all right, uh, this has been, as we started off saying, you know, five days like you know, we've never seen and may never see again. And who knows what will happen in the next five days. But keep an eye on Michigan. I think that could be uh, not the end for Bernie, but, but you know, basically uh, it signals the end. The thing about Michigan, it, it, he won there last time. It, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the establishment, that's my new favorite word, the establishment constitutes everybody that is a Democrat uh, because – well, if, because Bernie's not a Democrat, so he views all Democrats as establishment Democrats. Uh, I, I bet you that that Governor Whitmer is going to kick into action up there. Oh, big time! I can see Debbie Dingell kicking into action. You know, different people uh, across the board. I don't think anybody's going to get caught sleeping here. Most of the labor unions, and 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 certainly you can get a you know. You have at least a shot at a uh, at a big African American turnout in Detroit and elsewhere. So no, I think it's and it's a, you're right. It's a it's Bernie carried it last time. You know, James. The other thing that people aren't paying enough attention to: Bernie is underperforming uh, where he uh, performed in 2016 everywhere. Now, granted, it was a two or three person race back then, and it's larger now. But that underperformance is not insignificant. It is not insignificant at all. And, and Michigan is so important because that test his last theory of the case and the, you know with, with so few people and, and if he loses that then he, he again they'll just make up something new they're not they're not gonna stop making up that socialist fantasies but that is going to make it more difficult James, with our next guest, the net worth of participants on this show has increased by about uh, 1,700%. Uh, the IQ has also gone up. Uh, he is Roger Altman, the founder and CEO of one of the most successful firms on Wall Street, Evercore, was a top official of the Treasury Department. And he uh, is not only one of the most successful, but one of the kindest and nicest people in that whole financial community. Roger, that'll probably hurt you with your constituency up there. But it ha happens to be true. Thanks for joining us. I know. It's a killer. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I, would, I, sh I must add that my joining has caused the political acumen on this dialogue to plummet. Uh, but I'm glad to be here. Yeah, that's not true. That's the only thing you'll say that's not true. And James, I, I really loved your salute. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh. you know, I, I was sitting there, and I, I it apparently they asked Clive to buy it this morning. He busted out laughing. He said, I hadn't seen James in a while. I was, I was down in New Orleans for the football game. I'm glad I didn't run into him. <laughs> oh, that's right. He's a Clemson fan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Roger, let's talk about uh, the coronavirus and the effect it's going to have. The markets have gone wild, rationally or irrationally, down by record amounts, or you know, at least numerically one day, up the next. But let's talk about what you see as the underlying economic effects effects of the global spread of this virus. What 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 are what's the range of realistic projections about what it's going to do to the real economy? Well, that's the question of the hour of the day of the week and of the year. Uh, I'm going to answer it to the best of my ability, but let me say first, the no human being on earth knows the answer to it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the reason for that, of course, is that no one knows what the uh, incidence of this disease will be ultimately, for example, here in the United States. Uh, and the economic impacts will derive from that incidence. And to give you an example, uh, Los Angeles just reported in the last 15 minutes uh, that it had declared an emergency because uh, a series of cases of the virus had been detected or diagnosed in LA. Um, And we're quite close in this country Uh, And, of course, this has already happened in some other countries like South Korea and Japan, let alone China. uh, Iran. uh, Yes, in Iran. We're quite close in this country to seeing the beginnings of lots of economic activity begin to slow down seriously. Now, we're not at that moment right now. I mean, the, the jobs figure reported this morning, it's a preliminary figure, but it was positive. Uh, but uh, we're all anticipating that we may see a pretty sharp slowdown. Um, And uh, anecdotally speaking, lots of businesses now are canceling employee travel. Uh, Certain businesses are uh, canceling external meetings. And of course, the follow-on impact on airlines, on hotels, on restaurants, on um, the entire uh, 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 the entire economy uh, may be pretty sharp, and that's what the financial markets are re- reacting to. It's probably going to be a pretty sharp slowdown, but as with these other precedents, whether it's SARS or H1N1 or others, it's probably going to be what the economists call V-shaped, a deep, a deep uh, uh, or a sharp fall followed by a sharp rise. Of course, that depends on, you know, we are interested in politics and that depends on when that sharp fall takes place and when it ends. Uh, well, we're quite that's... close to the beginnings of it. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not smart enough to know uh what would push us over that line? Because we're we haven't gone over it right now. Um, in most places in this country, activity levels have not changed yet dramatically. Although you can begin to you can feel it's starting, but we haven't really crossed that line yet. But the chances that we do cross it seem pretty high. Well, let me ask one more, and then and then turn it over to James. We'll talk about what is maybe the what would normally be the unsexiest of issues: the global supply chain. And it's not just what's happening here, but but a lot of these businesses, a lot of these companies, depend on getting getting their supplies from Korea, China, elsewhere. And uh, I read the other day that there could be a delayed response, and the worst of that effect could hit in hit in the middle of March or end of March. That's possible, of course. Uh, now, the biggest supply source of all uh, is China. Right. And China is, is seen to be beginning to recover. Uh, you know, some, a, a series of the most draconian restrictions in China are beginning to be lifted. Um, uh, I actually think the greater threat is the consumer side of the economy, uh, of our economy and the global economy. First of all, 70% of the US GDP is consumer related, mm-hmm. um, consumer spending driven. Uh, and uh, if you take New York City where I'm sitting, uh, the moment that uh, we see a number of cases which people interpret to be an emergency, and that's what Los Angeles just declared a few minutes ago, then transportation usage will decline, uh, perhaps starting with the subway system, and economic activity as a whole will contract. So I think it's more likely to be uh, severe on the consumer side 
because that's where most of the U.S. economy actually is. James? So, Roger, the stock market is like it goes up, down 800, up 1,200, down this. And, and I think there's a word that, that stock people use called volatility. Right. And that, that's not, and they have like a thing called, which I don't understand, the volatility index or something. Does this amount of volatility like, like concern people that watch this? Yes. Well, the, the index you're referring to is called the VIX, V-I-X. It's, okay. bas- it's the basic volatility index that uh, market participants and general observers follow. Uh, it is at a very high level now, beginning, oh, seven to 10 days ago. Um when markets began to really wobble. Uh, in and of itself, it's not a, uh, a dire index. It just tells you that investors themselves are um, uh, manifesting what I would call f- uh, fear and, cons- and, uh, and, and, and trying to protect themselves. Um, but what's going on in the markets is a, a big tug of war between the anticipated slowdown that I referred to, which will of course spill over into profits um, and, and, and stock prices. And on the other hand, the interest rate cuts, which first and foremost, the markets themselves are driving. I mean, the 10 year treasury this morning is below 1%. Oh, um, really? all, time, all time record low, by the way. Right. Um, and the, the, the stimulative effect of those rate cuts, which are occurring all around the world, not just here. So on the one hand, you have those rate cuts, which of course are designed to, to, to stimulate or at least uh, cushion economic activity. And, and they, they're pulling the market in one direction, which you saw uh, two days ago with the giant rally. And on the other hand, the fear of this economic contraction um, and no one knowing when it starts, how long it lasts, uh, pushing the market downward. These, so there's two giant forces at work, and that's why, among other things, you're seeing so much volatility. Two days ago, the market rose 1,300 points on the Dow Index. Yesterday, it fell sharply. This morning, it's up again. Um, uh, and, so there, and there's also some U.S. political factors at work in that today. But uh, there is this giant tug of war occurring. So, when we at the Clinton administration, which you were obviously a very senior senior part of, and we were always told, you know, don't mention the stock market because you don't know what's going to happen to it. You know, it's okay you talk about GDP numbers or you can talk about unemployment. And Trump, and every time he'd talk about it every day, and I said, Jesus, if, if Bob Rubin and Roger Allman had to tell him to, you know, it, so this is really like freaking him out. Because that, for some reason, he had associated any possible chance that he's reelected to the performance of the stock market. And that, that the stock market is not a very good thing to tie your political fortunes to in the short term because you no, just don't know isn't. what it's going to do. Right. And, you know, it's, it's an example of that ancient adage, live by the sword, die by the sword. Um, uh, Trump obviously... Uh, measures himself and measures his administration and uh, wants the world to measure him by the stock market. Uh, that's worked for him pretty well over the past three years of his presidency, but he's at risk now because uh, not only is the market moving downward now in recent days by a lot, I think uh, two days ago it had fallen 13% in, in about a week. Uh, but it was already at a very high level where the odds were uh, from a medium and longer term point of view that it would more likely fall than rise. Nothing goes up forever. So I would say he's at risk in those two ways, the, the short term where the virus and concerns of a economic slowdown are, are pushing the market down. And generally speaking, trying to continue to tie yourself to a market that's already that high where you know, law of averages are that it'll decline more likely than it'll keep rising. It's a dangerous game for him. So far, you know, uh, uh, through the, the, the first phase of his presidency, he's gotten away with it. I'm not sure he's going to get away with it over the next eight months between now and Election Day. 
how much do those market people and 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 the business leaders love the tax cuts they've gotten from him? How much do they lack confidence or worry about his and this administration's ability to handle what really may be their first real crisis? You know, markets don't really operate like that, uh, at least normally. Um, they don't. I mean, they don't worry about whether something's going to be handled well. Well, or no, they're the well. market. The markets are much more focused on uh, what is the incidence of this virus going to be. For example, in the United States, right? Is it going to um, become really widespread, or isn't it? They don't say to themselves, "I worry that the administration doesn't know what it's doing." Now. Ultimately, those two issues could come together if we have some real uh, mishandling of it. But at this moment, that's not the primary. You don't hear that much. You hear just how bad is the virus going to be, which in turn will drive how bad the economic slowdown is going to be or how deep and how long it's going to last. And, and that's how markets typically think. If we had some really egregious mishandling by the administration. Uh, as I say, that could, that, could, that could stir itself into the mix. But right now, you don't hear that. Now, mm -hmm. politically speaking, of course, as you guys know better than anybody, that is a big issue. Uh, you know, the old George W. Bush Katrina precedent and so forth, which is close to James's heart. Uh, but um, you don't hear much about that this minute. Mm -hmm. So much of this is state and local, Albert. Um, I mean, there's a big debate going on in New York City just now, right now in the last 24 hours about whether the New York City um, hospital system, which is already operating at near capacity, just just for, through the normal load factors, could handle a big outbreak. Just in terms of hospitalization. Right. So it's so much. So a lot of this is state and local rather than federal. I wouldn't even want to think about what it's like in rural America. Yeah, They're closing hospitals left. I mean, at the end. Right. I mean, it, 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 so your your group in in New York, I understand, if engaged in what some people are claiming is a really awesome. Are you doing voter registration in Florida? Yes, sir. Is that correct? Yes. Are you at liberty to? Well, I would just say I would just say that uh, starting over a year ago, starting actually February um, of 19, 2019, a group of us uh, organized, well, researched, uh, designed, raised money for, and ultimately, uh, in August, this past August put into the field a voter registration initiative in Florida, and without going into a lot of detail, which I shouldn't, um, we're on track quite, and we're getting quite close now to completing a 375,000 person voter registration program. In other words, registering 375,000 new voters in um, four markets in Florida, which happen to be Miami-Dade County, uh, Orlando and Greater Orlando, uh, Tampa, St. Pete, and greater that greater area, and certain African American uh, communities in northern Florida. Um, and uh, of course, the goal is uh, first and foremost to address the or try to address the uh, or counter the voter suppression that has taken place in so many places around the country, but has been relentless in Florida, and the reality that Florida is a massive uh, state from an election point of view. I mean, it's the biggest of the swing states. You guys know all that. I'm not an expert on, historically speaking, on Florida, but the Democratic Party infrastructure... It's been a disappointment. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Democratic Party infrastructure in the state, the state Democratic yeah. Party, the, the state infrastructure on the Democratic side is not what anybody would want, and everybody in Florida knows that and acknowledges it. Um, and I'm probably being charitable. Uh, however, um, a lot of grassroots activity of the type we're doing and many, many, many other people are doing is occurring, and it's pretty dynamic to see it 
Uh, I've been going to Florida roughly every two or three weeks for the past 13 months on our project. And it's, it's pretty amazing to see it. So uh, if you ask me whether if Joe Biden turns out to be the Democratic nominee, and I know we're a long way from that, whether the state of Florida could be won in the general election, my answer is yes. I don't, I'm not predicting that. I'm saying it's perfectly doable. Right. And even if the state infrastructure isn't, or democratic infrastructure isn't what it might be, uh, you can still do it uh, because of a, a, obviously a good national campaign from the nominee and the whole effort there. But also the, this thousand points of light approach that's going on already uh, uh, among activists and uh, organizers and donors. There's a lot of it happening. Boy, that's that's exciting. I would think, Roger, for projects like this, I mean, I'm I'm going to say this, and you tell me it's wrong. I would think that among a number of people who are very nervous, Democrats basically, uh, money Democrats, very nervous about Bernie Sanders, that the prospect of Joe Biden might uh, open some more wallets. Oh, I don't think Joe Biden is going to have any longer uh, major, major financial and fundraising right. issues. But, you know, the, the, a lot of people misjudge the attitude towards Sanders. Um, it is twofold, but it's not all. Most people say, well, uh, a lot of donors don't want Sanders because of his policies. Sure, there are people like that. But there's also a huge group of people, uh, I'm one of them, who don't want Sanders because they don't think he could win. Uh, in other words, they don't see him as a vehicle for, for uh, getting rid of Donald Trump. And if there's, any, if there's one passion that so many people have, starting with James, of course, as he's articulated. Is he, is he passionate about this? Well, he's usually not very passionate about anything. We, we, we brought him out of his shell. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, getting rid of Trump. I mean, Trump is, is, is uh, I'm sure you guys read that George Packer article in The Atlantic a couple of days ago. We talking about it earlier, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Trump is uh, just an existential threat to the, this country as we know it. Right. Yeah, I, it, it, you know, and I, I think that's what the Democratic Party, what I heard last night was, and let's just get 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 on with the job at hand. I mean, I think that's what these voters were saying in, in their own way. All right, we got it. You know, we know we know what our job is. And again, as I said last night, and I said earlier in the show, I, you know, it's not going to Bernie's going to keep chugging along, but he's going to he's facing a different world now. He's he's facing people a, a political party that is just not interested in his revolution and is, you know, desperate to get to November. And it's going it, to, it, it's going to take a toll on it. Well, I don't have the political experience you guys do, but I've, I've, I've never seen anything like what happened over the past four days. And one of my, one of the most mysterious and inexplicable things to me is my own home state of Massachusetts, where well, you had a home state Senator running strong, I mean, campaigning strongly there, obviously that's Warren. You had a neighboring senator with universal name recognition uh, campaigning hard there and drew big crowds. That's Sanders. You have a relatively liberal prim- Democratic primary electorate. You have senator, you a billionaire you have, who was born there. Yeah, you have a billionaire born there. And you have Joe Biden who, uh, let's let's say, put uh, concentrated his resources elsewhere. Biden, to the best of my knowledge, did not go to the state, didn't spend any money in the state, didn't have any people in the state, and he still won. I mean, I've seen some strange things, but that is up there. I, I, you know, if you think about it, the reason is these people are just, for God's sakes, let's just get to November. And I think that's what all of those Massachusetts voters that, that turned out for Joe Biden. I think that's what yeah. they were saying. But man, we're, we're, we're ready to go. And it was kind of strange. But when South Carolina came in and people said, all right, that's enough. It, it, was, it was an amazing thing. And I, I don't think anybody can say that the shortest shot is coming. I mean, I, people did, to be, to be fair to it, said, we, we know he's going to get something out of South Carolina for the next 72 hours. And I'd started to hear, you know, a couple of people who took some polls on, on Sunday night said, man, the Biden numbers just really jumped in some congressional district in Illinois. And, you know, once these primaries numbers start breaking they, they just break big and I, I just think the let the message from last night that 
letters we're sending is as clear as a bell. Let's get to November, people. We're not interested in this anymore. And unfortunately, we're going to have to go through it a few more times. Uh, but we'll see. But there's more, more, there's more football left to play here. But I, I think we're, we're yeah. doing pretty good no. so far. I think you're right. Uh, Roger, uh, as always, we've learned from you. Uh, I'm looking for that when that V begins. Uh, but thank you very much. Here's the encouraging thing. Um, we have seen, you know, things like this before, SARS right, uh, and so forth. Um, now, we don't know whether this could be more virulent than, than those, but the impact of those was clear. It was pretty clear each time. Uh, there was a sharp impact, and then we came back entirely from it as vaccines were developed and authorities got control of it. So you have to say to yourself, that's likely here. We just don't know how long that's going to take. Yeah. Well, we'll have you back because I think this is uh, an ongoing story. But thank you very much. And I want to thank everyone for listening to 2020 Politics War Room. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Again, be charitable. The podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. For James Carville, I'm Al Hunt. We'll talk to you next week.